You are listening to Grab Them by the Pod, a member of the Ace Podcast Network. Joining us here at Grab Them by the Pod, Kevin, along with Jesse, as always, and we're here to talk Trump, talk Washington, and you know everything that makes this wonderful country tick. So, Jesse, what do you got for us tonight? Well, before we go into the show today, I had to bring this up. Today, uh, they had a doctor come out during the press briefing, and they talked about Trump's physical. They went through everything, and you know he's apparently he he is the best uh, in shape president of all time, according to. So they say he's six three. 239 pounds. I take issue with that. My brother is 6'3", and I asked him, I go, how, how much do you weigh? He goes, uh, 238 pounds. And, you know, he's not overly muscular, and he's not out of out of shape. He's like a normal dude. He's tall. And I look at him next to Trump. There's absolutely no way they're the same height and the same same weight. It's just I don't see it happening. Your brother's only 6'3". I always took him for more like 6'7". He's a giant. Well, you know, I'm I'm fudging the facts a little bit. He's 6'3 and a half, he said, but I'm close enough for government work. I guess I've only seen him in shoes. Yeah, and, you know, he, he is relatively svelte, so it makes him look even taller, I guess. I don't, by the way, Trump's uh, license says he's 6'2", so he actually uh, gained an inch as opposed to losing an inch, so uh, he must have the reversed osteoporosis if that even were to exist. Or he's wearing really tall inserts in his uh, his loafers. Trump is the tallest. He's the best. We all know this. He runs a sub four mile too, right? <laughs> yeah. All right. Onto the serious stuff. And uh, even though it is kind of a crazy topic, it is very serious. Uh, last week, Trump held a bipartisan White House meeting on immigration because they got to get this DACA stuff taken care of. And apparently called Haiti, El Salvador, um, pretty much every African country. Uh, excuse my language. A shithole country. Um, he doesn't want immigration uh, coming on in from these countries. He wants immigrants coming in from countries like Norway. Huh. What do they look like in Norway, Jess? Um, well, if you asked his uh, Secretary of uh, Homeland Security, she is unaware if uh, Norway is mostly white, which, you know, that's doesn't take a genius to figure that out. Um, all this came to light, by the way, after uh, Senator Dick Durbin, he was in the meeting, uh, told the press about it. He said the president said things which were hate-filled, vile, and racist, but I cannot believe that in the history of the White House, in that Oval Office, any president has ever spoken words that I personally heard our president speak yesterday. Uh, I, I know it's the right versus the left and we have uh, Democrats versus Republicans but I don't think Durbin's wrong to be kind of sickened by hearing those words come out of out of his mouth you know it never ceases to amaze how the president can denigrate the sanctity of that Oval Office and his position as president but yet again here we are with another comment another off-the-cuff remark uh, from Donald Trump that you know, makes us shake our heads and can only imagine what it makes those in the countries that he is accusing uh, of, of being this way, what it makes them think. 
Nothing good. And I mean, this isn't just a left versus right thing. Uh, Senator Lindsey Graham, who is a Republican, and he was in that meeting, actually said, uh, following the comments by the president, I said my piece directly to him. Uh, the president and all those attending in the meeting uh, know what I said and how I feel. Now, he didn't actually say the words that that Trump said, but following up on those comments, Senator Dermott said that for Graham to confront the president as he did, literally sitting next to him, took extraordinary political courage, and I respect him for it. And Graham's fellow Republican in South Carolina, Tim Scott, said that Graham, you know, for the most part, confirmed that the president said these things and that uh, what's being reported is basically accurate. So uh, there are a lot of Republicans defending Trump, but not all of them. And again, that is very telling. Well, and we've said it before several times on the show that Lindsey Graham, you know, we're all right with him, right? We respect him because he has been one to speak out against Donald Trump. He's not just going to fall in line uh, and tote the party line. When he sees a wrong being done, he's, he's calling it out. And so we can appreciate that and respect that here. Lindsey Graham is one of those guys that just when I think, all right, you're doing everything right, he then goes and agrees with something Trump does. I'm like, ah, oh, you are so close, Lindsey. Uh, maybe next time. Um, but it, there are a lot of Republicans that I mentioned who are backing what Trump said, uh, or at least not uh, not going against what Trump said. Uh, Republican senators Tom Cotton and David Perdue were also in the meeting. They issued a joint statement over the weekend saying, we do not recall the president saying those comments specifically. Uh, and then later on that weekend, they both in separate interviews on Sunday denied it. I don't know about uh, you, Kevin, and I don't know how they got from recalling to not recalling to knowing, um, but to me, I do not recall something that a guilty person says in the stand when they don't want to tell the truth, they don't really want to lie. I mean, have you ever heard a person say, I do not recall those events in question and go, oh yeah, I'm sure they're telling the truth. Well, yeah, you know, I, I've heard Jeff Sessions say that back <laughs> yeah. during his confirmation. You know, he did a lot of that not recalling, if I recall, but... Yeah, you know, it seems to me that Senators Cotton and Purdue are just kind of covering their own behinds for their constituents, for their base, you know, uh, not being able to speak the truth on what happened in that meeting with the president. You know, it's it's awfully fishy to me. And I, you know, aside all par partisan politics aside, I mean, you know, something happened in that room. Otherwise, you wouldn't be getting mixed stories here from both sides of the aisle. So for them to not be able to recall to all of a sudden they know with certainty that that word wasn't said, uh, that brings up some suspicion. And while I don't probably agree with his politics, I actually met and had a nice conversation with uh, David Perdue's father, Sonny Perdue, when he was governor of Georgia. He came and testified before the Senate Finance Committee, and he seemed like a nice guy. And I just want to say, David, what would daddy think uh, with you lying? Although, you know, he was a politician, too, so maybe he gets it. No, uh, <laughs> never, a, never a better name uh, for a southern politician than Sonny Perdue. Are you into chicken? Like, what's going on there? I actually do like that Graham today or, or on Monday kind of took a shot at those two and said, you know, his memory hasn't evolved. Uh, he knows what was said and they know what I said. And again, that's good. He's sticking to his guns. He, you know, I guess he's being a good um, Republican and not necessarily outwardly attacking the president, but he's basically saying that. I didn't stand for that nonsense, and I won't stand for that nonsense, and I would have loved to have been a fly in that wall to see exactly what he said, how harsh he actually was. Well, the president has all but admitted that something happened. He won't, you know, he's denying the fact that he used the particular word, but he said that tough language was used. 
the craziest thing came out. Uh, I read, I think it was the New York Times, maybe it was a Washington Post reported that, uh, you know, Cotton and Purdue are not lying because they heard him say uh, shithouse and not shithole. So uh, while denying it, uh, they were actually telling the truth in a weird, messed up way. Okay, so shithouse, shithole, it's semantics. And if that's really what we're going to argue <laughs> over, well, the, the, you know, for the sake of the country here, we need to get to the to the point of it all, which is that a president of the United States cannot behave in such way, should not behave in such way uh, that lowers the the esteem of the office. And like you said, he he is saying Trump is saying that he did use tough language. They didn't use that. Of course, no, no one loves the Haitian, the Haitian people more than he does. No one blah, blah. We hear the same thing um, all the time. And then he tweeted out that uh, he called Senator Durbin, Senator Dickie Durbin, and said that he uh, totally represented what was said at the DACA meeting, which is ridiculous because they're, they're saying he didn't use those terms, but used tough language. It doesn't sound like he totally misrepresented. At, at best for Trump, he kind of misrepresented uh, what's going on there. And then he said, uh, deals can't get done with no trust. DACA's dead basically because of Durbin. Uh, we all know the Democrats have been fighting for DACA for a, for a long time. And um, it, it's really been this White House that has been standing in the way, at least for the past year or so, to get this deal done. Well, you know, a funny thing about trust in your government, you know, Donald, you know, your your pal Richard Nixon kind of killed the notion of trusting your government and taking it at its word. So we're long since past that. You know, we should be looking critically at what you are doing and, and what's going on here, and, and we are. And so, therefore, uh, not everything's going to spin your way all the time. And I'm not uh, new to D.C. I'm not new to politics. I know we don't like seeing how the sausage gets made, and I'm sure there's a lot of colorful language that happens between uh, senators or congressmen or even the president behind closed doors. Uh, but if you're going to say stupid things like that, uh, make sure everybody in the room – Either usually the or is too scared to say anything. Uh, you shouldn't say it in mixed company, which he did, and is why it came out. I, I, it would be interesting to see that if Graham would have said anything, if, if Durbin had it. Probably not. Um, but he probably would still would have said something to uh, Trump himself. But the, the bigger issue here is uh, what people are seeing when it comes to this. It, it's really coming across as racially charged. I mean, look at the countries he said he doesn't want people to come from. Look at the countries he does want people to come from. It's basically brown and, and black immigrants, bad. White immigrants, Good. Uh, and Trump's past comments don't help us. I mean, he has had a, a spotty at best record when it comes to race relations uh, over the past 30, 40 years. So this is just really uh, pushing people in a direction they were probably headed in already. Right. You know, from lawsuits over rental discrimination in New York City in the 1970s to the Central Park Five in 1989 and to Mexicans being rapists in 2016. The guy does not have a clean record when it comes to this. So anytime he uses his position as president to make one of these types of comments, we should look at it skeptically. You know, it's hard to give him the benefit of the doubt at this point. And I think it's important to note that uh, he's he's taking the negatives of countries and putting it on its citizens, on its people. Uh, Kevin, you and I were fortunate enough, just by sheer luck of who our parents were and where we were born, to be born in America, to live in one of the greatest countries in the world. And it's not our fault that we were born here, for better or worse, and it's not the other people's fault that they were born in countries that are less fortunate, that are in bad situations uh, where, where horrible things happen uh, or where there's poverty. Uh, they want to come to America for a better life. 
for them, for their family, for their friends. All of our our uh, family were all immigrants at one point. And they came up for the same reason, for the American dream. And uh, Trump really wants to look at it pretty simplistically. He, he wants to have people come in on a merit system, which is fine, except for his idea of merit is the country you're coming from, not the skills or the, or the content of your character. And that it, we, we just had Martin Luther King Day. I think we really should be focusing on the content of people's character versus the color of their skin or the country that they came from. Yeah, you know, most immigrants are coming here because they want to invest in our country, which is more than can be said for many uh, Americans who are native to this country. So, um, yeah, I, I really agree with you, given the words of MLK, that we should be looking at the content of people's character and what they can bring, the value they can bring to us, rather than keeping them out simply because of the color of their skin or their country of origin. And it's important to note that Americans, my, myself included, uh, take it for granted uh, the freedoms we have every day in the life I live. And I complain about having no money, even though I live in a nice house. Uh, you know, I have a good job. I have loving family. Everything's pretty great for me, even when it's at its worst. So uh, we shouldn't complain when we when we see people from other places want to come in and really want to embrace the American ideal. Uh, it, it's already having ramifications around the world, uh, especially in the countries that were that were named. They're not happy, like we said earlier. They shouldn't be. Uh, the African Union, which represents all 55 nations on the continent, and we're still not sure whether the president knows Africa uh, is a continent and not a, a country. But uh, they've demanded that Donald Trump apologize. They put out a statement saying that the African Union mission wishes to express its infuriation, disappointment, and outrage over the unfortunate comments made by Mr. Donald Trump, President of the United States of America, which uh, which remarks dishonor uh, the celebrated American creed and respect for diversity and human dignity. I like that they're championing the American ideals in, in the country as a whole while kind of crapping on the president and what he said. Um, it means to me, at least, that they're not taking it out on us, America. They're taking it out on the president and the administration, much like a lot of us are doing. Well, that's been one of my biggest concerns. I know a lot of people, yours as well, you know, that will the rest of the world see this as Donald Trump, like the rogue agent of America, and the rest of us aren't all in line, lockstep with his ideas and beliefs? Or are they just going to take it out on us, you know, in a blanket uh statement. And at least this one would seem to be that they do understand that most Americans don't feel the same way that our president does. And I really hope that sentiment stays because there are a lot of places. I mean, in England, we have a very special relationship, as they always say with England. And the president just canceled his trip to uh, London and he blamed Obama and, and the embassy. And it was basically because he was going to get protested in the mayor of London doesn't like him because Trump has talked a lot of trash about him. So uh, we want to keep these relationships. And I think very it's a very real possibility that uh, the next president will have to go on an apology tour around the country saying we're sorry uh, for the previous president, which is unprecedented and, and frankly a sad state of affairs. Yeah, you know, that uh, London embassy, that bad deal, quote unquote, as the president called it, the one that was initiated under George W. Bush, but yet he gave all the the, the credit for that bad deal to President Obama. But, you know, that's spread out of his playbook. It didn't cost what he said. It's for safety reasons. Like, there's a million reasons 
or maybe at least 10 reasons why the embassy was was moved. But yeah, these facts mean nothing to the current White House. So some Republicans have spoken out, as we said earlier, with Lindsey Graham. I mean, it hasn't been a wave or anything. And even the people who have spoken out really hasn't been, uh, you know, with real anger. Uh, Mitt Romney, who will be running uh, most likely for Senate in Utah uh, in the coming months, uh, said that Trump's comments were inconsistent with America's history and antithetical to American values. Paul Ryan called it unfortunate unhelpful, which, yes, it is both of those things, though he could have uh, said it with a little more anger in his voice rather than kind of that monotone stare that he gave during the the interview. He could barely look into the camera like I Paul Ryan, you know, I've, I've lost all hope in, you know, that's the best you can do. Unfortunate and unhelpful. I mean, here, here's the I problem. I mean, come on. We've, yeah, we've, excuse the language, we've been talking about Trump's marks as shithole uh, countries. Uh, Ryan's real problem is that he's had to eat a shit sandwich uh, that was served to him by the president. I mean, he, he was no fan of the president before he came in here, and he's been forced to grin and bear it uh, to get things passed. They got their tax bill passed. That's like his dream. So I don't know why they still support him so heavily. I mean, I guess party loyalty to a certain degree, but you've gotten really what you wanted. Uh, there's no need to have the blind loyalty and just uh, take the hits that are coming. I mean, things – We've mentioned this in previous podcasts. Things look horrible for the 2018 midterm elections, and they don't show any signs of getting better anytime soon. It's people like Romney and people like like Paul Ryan who are going to have to distance themselves from the president if they want to have any any hope of being successful in 2018. Well, and they need to have the the political courage and the fortitude to you know put the country before a party and stand up for what's right. And I think that in the long run, that's going to serve them better. But right now they're, they're too afraid to actually do that. And, and that's discouraging at best. And look at someone like Jeff Flake. Guy's not perfect. There's a lot of things he stands for that I disagree with, but my opinion of him is much higher now than it was a few months ago. He's been standing up to the president and really saying what I would imagine a lot of uh, people in his party are thinking right now. And yeah, he's not running for another term, so he really has the freedom to do that. Uh, but you know, someone with my political views would be, I would imagine, would be much more apt to vote for someone like Jeff Flake when they see them standing up to some of the crazy things that Trump does. Uh, it, it's not about being for or against conservative principles. It's being against things that are just plain wrong and shouldn't happen in the White House. Yeah, you know, I feel like I'm adding a, another verse to the John Lennon song, Imagine. But <laughs> imagine if, you know, we had term limits and campaign finance reform and Politicians were able to actually speak their mind, their conscience, and represent constituents without feeling the pressure of getting reelected. You know, I used to be against term limits, but I've become a little more in favor as things go past. And, you know, it doesn't just be crazy, but maybe like 10 terms for the House, that's 20 years, uh, maybe four terms for the Senate. You know, that's still with 2024. I mean, that's plenty of time. Uh, I, I was in the Senate when people like Robert Byrd and Strom Thurmond were there. I, I saw them being moved around the Capitol by their handlers. Now, these guys, not to be speaking of the dead, were basically dead men walking. And, you know, I, I guess the people in their states had spoken. But these people didn't belong in Congress. Uh, and sometimes I don't want to say the people don't know well enough, but I really kind of believe that. I don't know. Yeah, I'd have to agree with you. You know, we don't need the lukewarm corpses being wheeled around and, you know, told how to vote. I mean, maybe a new statute that if you can't stay awake for 60 minutes straight uh, on the Senate or House floor, uh, you get kicked out. 
I don't know. So Sarah Huckabee Sanders, you know, she has to comment on everything, uh, said this morning, uh, look, the president hasn't said he didn't use strong language, and this is an important issue. He is passionate about it. He's not going to apologize for trying to fix our immigration system. He's committed to doing that, and hopefully Democrats will too. Um, you know, it's just more spinning by Sarah B. Sanders. And quite honestly, I, I will give her credit in that uh, she's better at lying with a straight face than Sean Spicer ever was. And uh, so she probably has job security, at least for the moment. So the takeaway from that is that if you're passionate about something, you can say all kinds of derogatory and distasteful things. And it's OK. Yeah, I'll remember that next time at work when I you know, want to use four-letter words at something. I'm sure everything will just be fine. I'll just say, hey, the president did it. You know, Where did you learn to do that? I learned it from watching you, Mr. President. <laughs> uh, we are children of the 90s. <laughs> so all of this spun out of uh, a simple meeting – well, I guess not simple meeting uh, – about DACA. Uh, it's going to be a big issue in the beginning of this year, and as we've mentioned before, DACA stands for the Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals. Um, this whole scandal came because they're trying to come to a consensus uh, on a bill to pass to uh, take care of everything. In the past, Trump said he would uh, sign a clean DACA bill, although it turns out that I don't think the president knew what a uh, clean bill meant, uh, which you know pretty much anybody in Washington, D.C. Uh, should know within their first couple of months down there. Uh, then he said he would sign any bill that this little immigration work group they put together uh, brought him, uh, but he went back on that. So now he's basically saying that unless there's uh, funding for the wall, which is like something like $18 billion, $19 billion, um, he's not going not gonna to sign anything, and that's, that's not good. <laughs> yeah, and for any of our listeners who also might have been confused as to what a clean bill is, it's when the committee chair of a congressional committee assembles the changes to a bill from a markup with in which amendments are added and what remains of the original bill and reintroduces it as a new, quote unquote, clean bill. So, you know, maybe the president thought it was just one that, uh, you know, got uh, washed or swept. I don't know. We see these kind of uh, unclean bills all the time. It just happened with the tax bill. They uh, were adding all these crazy amendments that it was on the on taxes and tax reform. And suddenly there was a clause in there where you can you can drill in Alaska, which you know what a what a coincidence the Alaskan senators wanted something about that in there. So that's yeah, not a clean bill. So there is a current bill being passed around right now by uh, Graham and, and Dick Derman. Uh, and it's also been agreed to, by the way, with the other people that have been in this group. It's Democrats, Michael Bennett from Colorado and Robert Menendez from New Jersey, as well as Republicans, Jeff Flake, who we talked about earlier from Arizona and Cory Gardner from Colorado. And we do a few, we're going to go through kind of the four main things here. I'll take it one at a time. Um, first, it would allow dreamers you know, we talk with them. That's the uh, folks affected by the DACA legislation to get legal status and eventual citizenship. Uh, those these people are people who came to the U.S. as children and meet uh, educational and criminal requirements, and so they could then apply to, uh, for provisional legal status, and after a certain number of years, be eligible to apply for green cards, and then after another three or five years, they'd be eligible to apply for U.S. citizenship. I mean, that's one of the main things I think everybody wants to take care of on both sides, uh, at least in Congress. Right. And how can you go wrong here? I mean, these were children when they were brought here through no fault of their own. So, you know, it, it's hard for me to fathom exactly why people on some sides of the aisle are against this. I mean, even if you believe in cracking down on illegal immigration, how do we blame kids? 
I will agree with Republicans and to a certain degree that, yes, illegal immigration has to be dealt with, but these dreamers are not people who should be, you know, the sins of their fathers should not affect their livelihood. They were brought here as children. They know nothing else but living in America. As I said before, they're as American as you or I are, Kevin. I actually just read a story today um, about a guy who doesn't fall under the uh, DACA uh, legislation. I think he was brought here when he was 10. Uh, he's been here for, I don't know, like 30 years or something. Uh, he's gotten married. He has two kids, and they're deporting him. And again, people are like, oh, why didn't he just speak out? He was 10 when he got to be 18. Why didn't he? It's not that easy. You come here, you know, it's a scary thing to have to deal with. And again, you come here, I remember how, when I was like at 10, if I was brought to another country at 10, I'd probably be considering myself of that country if I lived there for 20 or 30 years. Uh, we, we America is not great again because someone like this is kicked out. Uh, again, we want to keep our best and brightest. This guy is a family man and has a job, and it just sickens me that they're going to tear apart families like this. Again, it's not someone who just came into the country a year ago. He's been here for a long, long time, and uh, I, I can't imagine anybody with a heart wanting these kind of families to be split up over something so stupid. And is the purpose of this just to set an example? Are you trying to scare people away from uh, attempting to come here later on? Uh, when somebody who is as established as this gentleman was, who's here invested in our country, who's raising children who are Americans here and who, who's bought into everything and doesn't know his home country at this point, you know, what's the point of sending him back there? What what point is being made by doing that? I mean, uh, presidents of both parties have, for lack of a better word, looked the other way in, on things like this in the past. And uh, they want to make points, and it's it's just real sad this is the kind of point they want to make. Sorry. So the other thing that the bill will do is it would prevent chain mig migration by preventing dreamers uh, from sponsoring their parents. This is something that President keeps tweeting about, chain migration. Um, parents or dreamers would be allowed to get a form of legal status uh, that could be renewed every few years, but it wouldn't actually make them eligible for green cards, uh, and they wouldn't be able to get a green card through their children. Uh, this proposal would give them, kind of, it's kind of like a form of legal status to bridge a gap until they become citizens um, through a, the normal process. So it's they kind of have to go to back to the beginning of the line, but they're allowed to kind of stay in the country while that happens. And again, I think that's there's nothing wrong with that. I don't see why either side would be against that. Absolutely. Fair enough. Yeah, it would eliminate the diversity visa lottery. Uh, it would reallocate about 50,000 visas currently used for it. So uh, it, it wouldn't just um, get rid of these. It would, it would reallocate them. Um, some of them would go to immigrants from underrepresented countries, uh, and other visas would be uh, to immigrants who currently have temporary protected status, opening the door for them to apply for green cards. So again, it's it's changing these around in a way that should make the president happy, um, but leaving enough on the table so that the Democrats aren't upset either. Well, I want to talk about temporary protected status for a minute, Jess, since you brought it up, because these are the immigrants. Many of them uh, are from the countries that the president was referring to with his remarks. All right. The temporary protected status is afforded to immigrants from El Salvador, Haiti, Honduras, Syria, Nepal, Yemen, Somalia, Sudan, Nicaragua and the South Sudan. OK. And if we stop and think about what these immigrants look like. <laughs> Compared to what the president would value in an immigrant, we know that that is different. And these are countries that have been affected by armed conflict or natural disaster. So it's understandable why we would allow them here for a given period of time so that they can you know, get themselves on their feet 
and be safe and secure when their homelands are not, right? It allows them to live and work here for a limited amount of time while things get sorted out back home. And as of 2018, it's only about 320,000 people in this country. And so if we don't have room for that, you know, what are we? You know, I, I've heard it said, uh, I think it was on Dan Carlin's uh, Hardcore History podcast, which is phenomenal, everybody should listen to it, that no country in the world has doing the right thing as part of their identity as much as Americans. And when you take what we see happening right now, I don't know how that jives. I think it goes back to what Romney said. You know, it's antithetical to the American ideals. Uh, when, when you think of America, you think of fighting for what's right for uh, you know, putting down the enemies of the world, for truth, justice in the American way, that kind of stuff. And I think we have to sit down and think about that. You know, who are we as a country and who are we as an American people uh, to turn down people? It's not people that are going in there to suck off the, the government tits, so to speak. It's people who want to come in and, as I said earlier, make themselves better. It's, it's just kind of sad that we've gotten to a point where these people come from countries that we, quote, unquote, we uh, deem as unacceptable, and as a result, so are they. And to be clear, I mean, Jesse and I are not advocating for illegal immigration. But what we're saying is, you know, have a heart and use your head that there are people that need the support and the protection, the help that we can offer them, that we've always stood for, as Jesse said. So why are we looking to cut that short now? This Trump presidency is a gut check moment for who we are as a nation. You know, go back and listen to our the episode. I forget which episode it was uh, when the uh, travel ban was going up. We talked a lot about uh, with Statue of Liberty, what stood for, and again the American ideals there. I think if you go back and listen to that, you'll get a, a good idea of really where we stand on this issue. If we haven't given it to you already today, uh, so, so the last thing that this bill would do would include a few billion dollars uh, for the border, and it's not exactly for the border wall. Uh, the deal would give I think 1.6 billion dollars for a physical barrier. Uh, some called a a, a gate or a fence, other people have called it a wall. Um, it would also be for surveillance technology, uh, agent training, and then another $1.2 billion for quote-unquote other priorities uh, on border security. And those numbers, I guess, are in line with what the White House would ask for for a single year uh, during the supplemental funding requests. So it's kind of throwing them a bone. I'm not particularly happy about it, but um, you know, the government – throws around billions of dollars like it's nothing. I've, I've learned that when I was working in appropriations as a lobbyist. So if you have to do that, I, I guess I can sit with that as long as uh, it's not a reoccurring ch uh, charge. <laughs> yeah, I'll say if $1.2 billion for other priorities, you know, hmm, what is that for? I once was in there, I think it was meeting with John Boehner staff in the Capitol. Uh, we were trying to get $4 million for nuclear medicine research, and they kind of just looked at me and laughed because $4 million was like a drop in the bucket and so little compared to what most people ask for. So uh, when it comes to how much money it's moved around uh, when it, to these things, you know, it gives you an idea right there. $4 million is no big thing. So uh, we wonder, you know, is there any wiggle room for changes on this? Well, you know, yes, no, maybe. Uh, if they make the bill more conservative, they're going to lose liberal votes and vice versa. Uh, Democrats are also already kind of frustrated that the deal gives Trump uh, any funding for the wall. And Republicans are kind of concerned that it doesn't provide enough money for the wall. So uh, you're kind of in an area that we would call satisficing, I believe, where uh, – 
nobody's happy, but everybody can live with it. And that's part of what makes Washington, D.C. and Congress work. So I, I think uh, President Trump just has to suck it up and, and sign this bill if it comes to his desk. Yeah. And unfortunately, he's of the mindset of, you know, give me everything I want or I'm taking my toy and going home. And clearly he hasn't figured out exactly how Washington works yet. Yeah. What, what's going to happen is the government's going to shut down. And the lack of a DACA bill is going to lead to Democrats possibly withholding their votes on the spending deal. Paul Ryan will have to convince both uh, defense hawks and the conservative Freedom Caucus to vote on another short-term spending deal, which isn't going to make them happy. Uh, and if the government shuts down, which the president keeps saying is going to hurt our military, yeah, no one's going to win. It's going to look bad, although the Republicans have uh, both chambers of Congress and the White House. So in the end, the buck would stop for them with them. Yeah, and can we please think of those poor National Park Service rangers and and how they'll be out of work and you know Jersey barriers up around our favorite monuments <laughs> in Washington D.C. It's not worth it for for crying out loud. Keep the government up and running. Stop putting your petty partisan bickering in front of what is good and what is right. Well, I'm going to share a little secret. They have uh, Congress doesn't really shut down. Uh, back in 2013, I was actually uh, it was it happened right around my annual Capitol Hill flying day where I had doctors and technologists from all over the country flying in to uh, go meet with members of Congress. And we learned that while the front offices were shut uh, shut down with the lights off, everybody still working in the back office. We just walk in and meet with them and no big deal. So things, at least in Congress, are happening. But again, like you said, if, if I want to go see if, if that World War II vet who may not have too many more you know years left in him wants to visit the World War II monument and can't because of that, well, again, that's going to be on the Republicans because they have the power. So. Well, this next thing I want to talk about, Kev, it's – I mean there's a little news to it right now. I think it's going to grow as a story in the next couple of weeks. But I really want to get you know your your thoughts on this and talk a little bit of my thoughts on this. Uh, Trump's State of the Union address is going to be held on Tuesday, January 30th. And Yeah, I have a dentist appointment that day, so we'll <laughs> see which one's more painful. I can guarantee it'll be the State of the Union. Don't worry. And I, I'm not throwing that out just at Trump. State of the Union's – most of the time just suck, and I'll get into that why, uh, why in, a, in a few. Uh, but several Democrats like John Lewis, Maxine Waters, people who have been outspoken uh, critics of Donald Trump are announcing that they're going to be boycotting. And I want to say personally, I don't think it's a great idea. I think we need to be there uh, for an op opposition. There needs to be an opposition there uh, to his policy and, more importantly, his rhetoric, um, what he says about our country, what he says about uh, the world as a whole. Running away is not the answer. I know they're not actually running away. They're doing it as a form of protest, um, but I think we need to see them. Yeah, I know. As we said in last week's episode in regards to Stephen Miller being cut off by Jake Tapper of CNN, you know, while we may find them vile and dishonest, reprehensible, we can't just shut them out or we run the risk of being called biased and adding fuel to their fire and the accusations they make about the media being fake news. And I think you and I, can, we... We automatically think that everything Donald Trump is going to say in this we're going to be against just because it's Donald Trump. And, and that's not how it was necessarily when it first started out. But the way he's kind of groomed us over the past year is that we think he's going to say things are – I mean it's not – crazy to think that he may use that platform to call Democrats losers, uh, talk about fake news. I mean, 
say, hey, Kim Jong-un, I double dare you to, to shoot a bomb at us. We'll see what happens. These are the things that have really come to light over the last year and that could happen on a day where, I mean, he's going to be in the House chamber. He's going to have roughly 535 members of Congress there. He's going to have all of his secretaries, his cabinet, uh, the Supreme Court. And when all these people in the world and the country is watching, I'm afraid of what our president will say. And I think, like I said, I think we have to have uh, people there showing that they're fighting against him, but doing it in a way that we think is proper. I and mean, there's a certain way things have happened for a long, long time. And we may not have liked them previously, but uh, now we recognize that it's it's the proper way to do things. Right. You know, and it's sad to believe that this is where we are, but you know, using last year's speech as an example, right? Last year, although unofficially, uh, not officially the State of the Union address, it was a joint address to Congress. You know, the president did things like using Karen Owens, the widow of senior chief petty officer Ryan Owens, who was killed uh, during the botched military raid in Yemen, uh, as an example during the speech. Or, you know, saying that Obamacare was collapsing or calling some immigrants bad ones or blaming NATO partners for not paying their fair share. I mean, that was relatively tame compared to the things he said within the last year. So who knows what he might say in this upcoming State of the Union address. I can't believe it, but I missed the days when the worst thing that happened was uh, Congressman Joe Wilson, you, know, you lie at President Obama. I mean, the State of the Union could be that on steroids now, uh, although he could be, instead of uh, one member of Congress telling the president that he lies, it could be the president telling half of Congress that they lie. And uh, it's crazy to think about, but uh, not out of the realm of possibility. Again, we deal in, in truths and what has happened. So, you know, we're just going based off of what we've actually seen. We're not making it up. Yeah, I'm going to give everybody some advice. and I'm probably not going to follow my own advice, but do as I say, not as I do. Don't watch State of the Union. Read it later on. If you don't see the people laughing and clapping or grimacing or sulking and you just read the text, you get a real, real idea of what he's actually saying and what's being conveyed there. Uh, we all have emotions and we judge uh, what we see and what we hear. But if you just read it, I'm telling you, you'll have a better idea of exactly what is going to be happening in this country in the next year. Well, don't watch it unless, of course, you want to see Sheila Jackson Lee, representative from Houston, Texas, staked out by the yeah. the door where the president comes in through. Although, I don't know. Well, she's, she's not doing that anymore with I, President Trump, I would think. I really want to see where she ends up. I, I used the biggest joke. First of all, she was uh, many years in a row – uh, voted the meanest member of Congress. There's some, some good articles on you should look it up. Yeah, she was always, I used to joke that she would have an intern uh, give him a bucket to go to the bathroom in and maybe like a, a pack of uh, of energy bars and just tell him to sit there for, for a week straight securing her, her spot to be able to shake President Obama's hand. Something tells me maybe she won't be in the same spot. And if she is, it won't be quite as uh, as friendly. Although, you know, she's all about getting the press, so who knows? She was not my congresswoman when I lived in Houston. Yeah, she's the kind of one that was like throwing phones at people and coming out and screaming at interns when their parents were in the office visiting, things like that. It's, it's ridiculous. Um, but again, maybe after we read that article and reevaluate things in a, in a post-Trump America, <laughs> maybe it's not so bad. <laughs> 
So the hits keep on coming for Steve Bannon. The former White House chief of staff was subpoenaed last week by special counsel Robert Mueller uh, as part of his federal probe into the Russian interference into the presidential election. It's weird. Bannon is actually one of the few no incidents that Mueller actually had to use a subpoena to compel the person to give up the information. And one source actually told the New York Times that Mueller would allow Bannon to be interviewed by investigators in a less formal setting uh, rather than a grand jury appearance, uh, which they thought maybe suggests that it's a negotiating tactic. Great. Steve-O can wear his cargo pants and fatigue jacket for comfort. Uh, hey, he was in a suit and tie uh, today. He appeared before the House Intelligence Committee. Um, I didn't hear what the uh, ranking member had to say about it, uh, but reports that were coming out basically that he wouldn't answer anything of importance. He was claiming executive privilege. Uh, so on the spot, the Republicans and the Democrats both subpoenaed him uh, as well. So he's getting subpoenas left and right, and they're going to make him talk. Uh, you know, again, if you don't want to talk, uh, it's either because he's just being a hard ass or because he has something he doesn't want to report. I don't, I don't know which it is. Uh, I'm assuming it's the, the latter. Well, you know, it's been a rough week or two for him. Somebody ought to buy him a drink. Uh, I'd be afraid. I'd have to have a, a drink tester try it, I think, before I drank it if I was Steve Bannon, because you never know what the people in D.C. say, uh, which I used to be one of. Uh, the last thing I want to bring up here is uh, Sarah Huckabee Sanders again. Uh, the White House press secretary called out Amazon today uh, on her official White House Twitter. Uh, apparently her two-year-old child was able to use the Echo to purchase an $80 Batman toy. Uh, she tweeted out that, uh, Alexa, we have a problem if my two-year-old can order a Batman band toy by yelling Batman over and over and over again. Um, now, first of all, you can disable that feature, Sarah, um, by disabling the voice purchasing uh, function or have it require a code. Um, but she didn't do that. She can't complain. Uh, and what people should be claim, uh, complaining about her is that she uh, may have violated uh, 5 CFR 2635.702, which is a section of the Code of Federal Regulations. Hey, you know, bigger picture here, if you want to make the economy look like it's doing well, you know, and I'm pretty sure you can afford an $89 Batman toy, why don't you just uh, go with it? Well, just think. Alexa, Amazon, Jeff Bezos, Washington Post, fake news. And again, it's not crazy to think that that's a connection that, that she's coming on personally. I mean, it's he's bashed the Washington Post and Jeff Bezos on Twitter before. So is this a stealth campaign against him? Maybe. Could be, but, you know, glad you pointed out where she's uh, outside of the law there, bud. Yeah, I don't want to actually read I had it written down here, but it's, it's kind of dry and boring. Basically, it says... Nobody in the federal government can use their power or position uh, to uh, go after things that will benefit them or hurt somebody. So basically, you can't say, hey, you know, I'm Sarah Huckabee Sanders' uh, press secretary, and I use Crest every morning to, to brush my teeth. You can't do something like that, and you can't, also can't bash. I mean, if she had done this from her personal account, which she hasn't used very often, would have been fine. But this press sec- this is the one that was used by Obama's press secretary is used by Sean Spicer. So it's nothing they just made. It's been handed down. It's uh, validated. It's the official White House thing. So you know, this is no different than when uh, Kellyanne Conway was giving a, a White House interview and said something like, oh, you know, you should buy Ivanka's clothing line. Like, you can't do that. It was just against the law uh, uh, back then as it is now. But you know, knowing, I'm not saying they go to jail, but they just slap on the wrist, but nothing happens because they don't care. Right. Something to hold them accountable. 
You know, we have these laws and we have these codes of regulations for a reason. Damn it. Someone listen and someone do something about it. Oh. All right, Kevin, what do you have for Kevin's corner? Well, Jesse, just when it seems the president of the United States can stoop no lower, he's accused of using a vile and derogatory term such as shithole to describe several countries from which our nation receives immigrants. It's no surprise that these countries produce immigrants who do not have fair features such as blonde hair, blue eyes, and light skin, uh, such as the inhabitants of Scandinavian nations like Norway, the president's preferred immigrant homeland. When we look at Donald Trump's track record of race baiting and animosity, coupled with an attempt to block immigrants from seven specific countries where the culture, customs, and religion differ from his own, comments like the one made this week continue to shed light on the president's character and his lack of belief in what is one of America's most sacred ideals. What the president should know is that despite any difficulties a country may have, no individual should be defined by where they happen to have been born. We should welcome any and all people who choose to make America their home and who choose to give up everything they have ever known to invest in this, the greatest democratic experiment the world has ever known. There is no telling what we stand to lose from the arts to the scientific discoveries and medical miracles by closing our borders to those leaving troubling circumstances in their native lands. We must fear not those who are different in appearance for those who choose to call this their home are Americans at heart. Very nicely said, Kevin. As always. <laughs> I want to point out before we end this episode that Sunday, Kevin, is the year anniversary of us coming up with the name Grabbing by the Pod. Of course, Monday will be the one-year anniversary of me getting uh, the flu and being violently sick for a week or so and losing my voice for uh, two months, so... <laughs> Well, I remember it like it was yesterday, sitting on your couch watching Sean Spicy Spicer get all worked up about crowd size. Man, to be back in the days when the press secretary talking about crowd size was the worst thing we had to worry about. Man, oh well. Well, thank you all for sticking with us through this new year, and we look forward to bringing you a full year of wonderful episodes. Uh, and until next time, remember that uh, I'm Jesse, this is Kevin, and goodbye. Later. Later.